0: Welcome to the Emerging Minds Podcast.
1: Hello everyone. My name is Dan Moss and this is episode one in a series of two podcasts with psychologist Penny C. Penny will be describing practice strategies for work with children and families today. For those of you who follow Emerging Minds, you will know that we will be releasing an Engagement and Assessment Practice Strategy course that examines some of the strategies practitioners can use when first meeting with a child or a young person. To develop this course, we worked intensively with Penny, who has offered amazing insight into her practices of working with children and families. Penny works with children to develop an understanding of their best life as a way of developing a functional assessment of children by having them describe what it is that's important to them in their relationships, their routines and in the activities that support and sustain them. The best life or whole of child approach is utilised in the assessment and engagement practice strategy course. So Penny really glad to have you
0: here today
1: maybe we could start by having you tell us a bit about your background as a psychologist um, particularly your work with children and their families.
0: So I've been a psychologist now for just over 17 years and all of my work has been with kids and teens and their families um, but in a whole variety of settings, so I've worked in child protection, I've worked in Department of Education primarily with early childhood kindy programs, kids with challenging behaviours and speech and language difficulties. I've worked in Department of Health working with an early childhood and family program with kids with again sort of developmental delays and disabilities. And for about the last decade now, I've also worked in private practice where I am fully set now in developing minds. So we're a community-based private practice that specializes in working with kids, teens, and their families. I'm also the team leader there, so I provide a lot of supervision and support to a range of psychologists who work in that area.
1: Yeah, so that's a really broad breadth of experience. So Penny, tell me, in that time, it started to kind of shape the way that you see work with children
0: and their families. What has shaped the work? Well, I think I mean, I do most of my learning from the kids and their families. And I've certainly had some fantastic mentors, and obviously, I go to the research and the evidence base. But certainly, a lot of what's shaped it is actually the rich experience I've had meeting and talking and supporting these many, many families over the years and um, hearing their stories, shaping the way I work with them.
1: Yeah, and in the last seven, eight years, we've we've come to think a little bit differently, haven't we, about children's mental health in particular?
0: Mm -hmm. Can you tell me, as a
1: psychologist, how has those understandings informed your practice over time?
0: Well, things have definitely changed in the last couple of decades, haven't they? I think probably one of the biggest shifts is that we know a lot more now about brain development. You know, we have the ability now to really understand neurological development and child development in a way we didn't when we didn't have the neuroscience technology that we had two decades ago. And one of the biggest shifts is that we now know for certain how important relationship is in early childhood development, in the development of kids' brains in their emotional regulation skills, um, in, in all of their cognitive skills, and that relationships, you know, those warm, attuned, connected relationships don't just feel nice, but they actually play a really integral part in child development and mental health. So that's been a really big learning, I think, and shift away from I suppose, behaviourism of the past, where it was we teach kids how to behave in certain ways by rewarding them and giving them boundaries and consequences, we've learnt that that's important, but also these kind of rich coaching experiences and relationships really make a difference.
1: And I suppose in that time we've thought a little bit more broadly about the types of relationships that children need, you know, from a very strong attachment theory model where we've thought. Mothers, mothers, only maybe mothers, mothers, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. thinking more broadly
0: than that. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that is that interesting thing that it's not just about a carer relationship and definitely not just a mother relationship but about all of those sort of connections, the so connections that kids make in the systems that they work in, um, connections they have with teachers and support staff in schools, other health providers, with their peers, um, with their extended family, with their key carers. All of those relationships can play a role and shape and support a child's life. And
1: I suppose in the last 17 years we've uh, got much better at describing or much more advanced at least at at describing the types of psychological problems that children might come to you with. Do you see your role in that as kind of eradicating or fixing the the problems that children come to you or, or do you think a bit differently about your work with
0: children? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, absolutely, children are brought to see a psychologist because they're struggling with something. There's something in their lives that isn't going well or they're they're having difficulty coping with something. They might have a disability or a diagnosis or some specific struggle or it may be just general coping skills or emotional regulation difficulties with whatever situation they're living with. So I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't identifying the problem and saying here's some skills here's a way of understanding this, here's how we can support this child to cope better in their struggle. But I think it's really important that when we're thinking about children's mental health that Mental health is not mental illness, mental health is about living a rich, full, meaningful life and I talk to kids about, you know, my job is to help them get their best life and what that might look like, not just coping when things are tough, but also engaging fully in the things that give them a sense of well-being and the things that help them feel alive and living their life yeah yeah so when you talk about
1: a child's best life penny what sorts of factors might influence a child's best life
0: well i think it really depends on the child of course but i suppose we're looking at relationships are one of the key things um, and that can be relationships within families peer relationships the relationships with coaches and teachers and you know it's that old saying of a village to raise a child so I think helping kids feel like they have a supportive village or they're connected with a whole range of relationships we know that positive relationships make a huge difference in in a child's best life. But we also know, I suppose, being able to thrive and explore and and develop their own strengths, um, no matter what that looks like. And we know with neurodiversity now that actually you don't have to look a certain way or be good at a certain skill to have strengths that you can bring into the world and, and thrive in whatever it is that really speaks to your heart I suppose and so helping kids discover what their interests are, what they care about, what their values are, what their skills are, can all be part of their best life as well.
1: Penny, in the practice demonstration that you helped develop for the assessment and engagement practice course, we are introduced to an eight-year-old girl, Zoe, and her mum, Bridget. Zoe has been referred to a psychologist because she's experiencing significant anxiety and this is causing her to miss lots of school. Bridget and Matt, Zoe's dad, are currently going through a separation and this has brought some tension and conflict into the house, particularly when Matt comes to visit or comes for dinner. Can you tell me what is important for you when you first meet with a child like Zoe who might be feeling quite reluctant or ambivalent to meet with you? Sure.
0: Well, so I'm assuming that a lot of kids, when they first come to see me, I, I don't know what they've been told. So, one of my first questions that I ask is what did mum or dad or whoever's brought you today tell you about? why you're here today, what I do, what we're going to do here. And I ask that question of the kids and or their parents, depending on who answers, because it gives me a lot of information about what parents expect, but also whether the kid's reluctant to be here, whether the kid's initiated asking for help, and, and that can help me structure that. But I suppose one of the ways I do that is if no matter what kids say to me or whatever parents say to me where they say, oh, I'm here for my anger or I'm here because I'm not going to school or I'm here because I've been sad a lot, I will often reframe that to say, well, you know, sounds like that's some stuff we can talk about, but... I think it's important that I tell you what my job is. And my job, I'm a psychologist, and I have the best job in the world. You know, I get to play with kids for a living. But most of all, I get to help kids get their best life. And I'm really sure that mum or dad has brought you along today because what they want for you as well is for you to be living your best life. Now, best life doesn't mean that I'm going to buy you a fancy car or send you on a holiday to Disneyland. That would be great, but that's not what we're here to do. It's Because sometimes our best life means that even though we're going through tough times that we can still be living a life that feels good to us that we've still got supports around us we're still doing things that matter to us we're still you know engaging in the things that really fill us with a sense of satisfaction and value so i want to know about what makes your best life sometimes i'll say things to kids like most kids who come to see me have got some really nice things or some good moments going on regularly in their life most kids will say you know, I have a a sport that I enjoy, or I I really love to draw, I have a great game that I love playing on my tablet, Um, my mum and I like to, you know, go for walks together, or, you know, I really love going and doing this activity at school. So they'll have a range of things that they're really enjoying. And in those moments, they are already living their best life. And I'm sure you are living some of them. And I'll get kids to tell me about a few times that you know, life feels good for them. And then I'll say, and also kids come to see me because there's often something that's getting in the way of their best life. There's something that they're struggling with. It might be big feelings or a tough situation they're living in or difficulties doing something that they feel like they should be doing better. Um, And so we might start to talk about ways that we can cope better with those things as well. But I need to know what feels good to you first so that we know that everything we do here is really trying to head you into your best life.
1: And that might be quite different, I imagine, for a child who's come along maybe somewhat reluctantly thinking that um, this person is going to try to fix them or is going to tell them
0: going to see the feelings doctor because you've got anger problems (laughs) yeah yeah you know and and that's not all kids experience of course but they will come often with a hesitancy feeling like i am the problem or i have a problem or there's something wrong with me and that's why i'm going to see someone and that can get in the way of us doing our work so i want to normalize Help-seeking. I want to say to them hey you're really brave I already know this about you because you're willing to come talk to a complete stranger about your life like that takes a lot of bravery or I might notice hey I can already see that you're a pretty flexible kid you're willing to give something new a go because you want the best life for you too, you know. Or I can tell you've got a really caring mum or dad. You know, they've come all the way, they've arranged for you to come see someone because they can see you're having a tough time and they really want things to be better. So I'm building up those strengths as I see them right from the beginning to sort of let them know this is a place where we're not just gonna be going, you shouldn't do it like this, we should do it better.
1: Yeah. And if a child throughout that first minutes, I suppose, of, of engagement is, is still you know displaying a bit of ambivalence or reluctance, yeah. are there particular activities you might engage in to start to hopefully get the conversation flowing?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think giving kids a bit of choice and control in that makes a big difference. So sometimes it's as simple as saying things like, would you like to talk to me first or would you like mum or dad to do the work first, you know? and so give them a choice about who starts. Sometimes I might give them choice around, um, do you want to tell me why you think you're here or what you'd like to talk about or would you like me to ask you a bunch of questions and you just answer them? So I might just give them a bit of a sense of being in the driver's seat, which can sort of make them feel a bit more relaxed. Also, depending on their age, I'd be kind of engaging them in, in fun, ways so i set the rules of therapy up really early in my sessions and quite often i'll say okay it's really important that we know the rules here and rule number one and i'll say look i'm sorry i know most people don't like rules you know i sort of make a bit of a game of it and then i'll be like see really important that you know my most important rule rule number one is we have to have a bit of fun and it sort of catches them off guard we have a bit of a laugh and i will sometimes say to kids so i'm going to give you the job of rating my session you know, we're going to get to the end of the session and you have to give me a score out of 10. 10 means this session was the most fun I've ever had. And I said, I've never got a 10, uh, you know, I'm not as good as going to bounce, you know, but tell me how I've done. And if we've had no fun, like if I get a zero, we need to have a chat about that because I haven't done my job. We have to have a bit of fun here because did you know that kids learn better? When they're having fun, I'll I'll tell kids that, you know, have you ever noticed that when the teacher's just teaching you maths, your brain can kind of go to sleep and you don't really want to learn it, but if the teacher gets out spaghetti and marshmallows and says let's make a 3D shape, suddenly you're learning and you don't even realise because you're having fun. We're here to learn and we need to have some fun, yeah. So letting kids know that it will be a bit fun and then doing some fun things is a way I might relax them, yeah.
1: Penny, these are such great examples of how you might overcome a child's initial reluctance and the anxiety of parents coming into a therapeutic setting for the first time. So in the case of Zoe, our case example from our practice strategies course, how would you continue to use the idea of the best life to engage with her and her mum?
0: So sometimes just asking kids about their best life and they'll give me a few things and that's enough to sort of relax everyone and sort of have that as our focus. But sometimes I'll turn the best life idea into a a full activity that I do with kids and involve their parents in. And I do that quite often by doing an activity I call the best life documentary. This is an idea I got off of Russ Harris. And the idea is we'll talk about, imagine that I had a secret film crew who, I have to be careful to make sure I have told them I don't really have a secret film crew, (laughs) imagine that there had been a secret film crew filming everything that you did, they'd been making a documentary about Zoe. So for the last three months, my film crew has been filming everything you do, everything you say, everywhere you go, every conversation you have. And of course, my film crew can't tell what you're thinking or feeling. All they can see is what you're doing and saying and how you're doing and saying it. They've been filming you for the last three months. And that's... beginning of our documentary which is Zoe's life but imagine that what we do here what you and me and mum and dad and all the people that we pull in to help you we work together and the work that we do here really makes a difference to your life that we're going to make your best life and then in three months time or at the end of the year we're going to refilm the second part of this documentary and we're going to call it Zoe's best life and things have changed, things have gotten better, and you're living your best life. What I want to know is, what would I see on that new documentary? I still can't see what you're thinking and feeling, but I'd want to be knowing, what will you be spending your time doing? Who will you be spending your time with? What would you be like? What would you be doing or saying, and how would you be doing or saying it? in those situations. So some kids can answer that quite freely and sometimes I'll be fleshing it out. So I might say, so if you're sitting at school and the work is tricky, in your best life, what would I see you do? What would you be acting in a certain way? Would you be asking for help? Would you be sitting quietly and focused? What sort of student would you like to look like on my best life documentary? At home when, you know, mum and dad ask you to do something tricky. What would you look like if you were living your best life, you know, with your siblings or your friends? You know, what would that look like? How would that look? And we're really sort of just trying to tease out how they'd like to be. We're sort of looking at some values, but also what is even included in their best life? Is it sport? Is it school? Is it home life? Is it family? And I'll include, you know, if kids can't answer, mum's and dad's opinions about what will make their best life makes a real difference as well.
1: That's really great, Penny. That's really useful. Thank you. And when I'm here listening to you talk, I'm thinking that what you're starting to get to with Zoe is a bit of a invitation for her to kind of talk to you about her day-to-day functioning, really, in the world, you know, the different elements of that in a slightly more engaging or open-ended way why?
0: Yeah so the, I mean this is a clinical assessment right so while we're talking about hey I really love soccer and my soccer team's really important and then you see their face drop and I'll say oh I noticed that soccer seems really important to you but I noticed your face drop there for a second what's going on then we might explore that a bit and she might say well I haven't been to soccer lately and we can sort of say oh something's tricky now I might expand on that right there and then if they feel comfortable I might log that away for her. There's something that's difficult in getting out to sport on a regular basis. That's something that we'll look into later. But there's so much assessment that can be going on about what is a functional life for this kid, but also what their parents are hoping and expecting of them, what, you know, we're looking at age-appropriate expectations here and how busy this child is and how supported they are to do a variety of activities or how over-scheduled they are. There's lots of things that I'm assessing just through talking about what would life look like. But kids think, here I am doing a fun activity talking about what my best life could be. It's a really motivating, energising kind of way of looking at it, Yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you so much, Penny. This has been a fascinating and insightful conversation about how to work with children and families in the assessment and engagement stage, particularly the practical examples you've provided regarding the use of the best life model. As you talk, it's almost like we can hear children like Zoe and mums like Bridget breathing a sigh of release, realizing that this session is not going to be just about their faults or their deficits. And in fact, you are intensely curious about every aspect of Zoe's life and in that curiosity it becomes possible for Zoe to think about her life in ways that don't only involve the problem. So that's all we have time for in episode one but please join us in a fortnight's time when we get to hear the second part of this conversation with Penny who is going to continue to describe her work in helping children like Zoe to walk towards their best life.
0: Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice.
1: Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health. Led by Emerging Minds, the National Workforce Centre for
0: Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.